Hi, this is Pastor Tom. We're looking at Revelation chapter 6 this week. This is day one. With Revelation chapter 6, we turn the corner and begin to talk about what God says concerning his plans for the future. We've seen in the first three chapters what God had to say about Jesus' words to the church. In the last couple of chapters, we've looked at this awesome worship service in heaven. And now in chapter 6, it's really in many ways the part of the book of Revelation that many people are interested in. To me, if you don't understand what Jesus said to the church, if you don't understand the perspective of worship in chapters 4 and 5, you're not ready to look at chapter 6. But now we are. Here we go. The seals begin to be opened. In chapter 6, verse 1, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. This is all about world events, these seven seals that we're going to look at being opened. It's all about... God's control in the midst of what seemingly to us sometimes is chaos. You might even today look at the news and ask, what is this world coming to? You see the hurricanes that might be happening or the earthquake that might have happened, the terrorism that might have occurred, and you think, what is this world coming to? You think, has God abandoned us? Is his plan failing? The book of Revelation is written to calm all of those fears to help you with all of those worries. The truth is, for the Christians in the first century who first read this book of Revelation, what they were facing was even worse personally for them as a church than what most of us face today. They were facing terrible times of persecution. And they had to be questioning, has God abandoned us? Is his plan failing? Is Jesus really returning? In the book of Revelation, we find that God's plan is unfolding. And as we read through this plan in the next several chapters, we're going to find that one of the hallmarks of this plan is that it's going to get worse. It must get worse before it gets better. Sometimes we look at the evil in the world and the things that God allows in the world, and we think that must mean that God has abandoned the world. No, we're going to find out in these chapters that God has a plan. Now, why does it have to get worse before it gets better? We're going to discover that as we read through the next several chapters. Chapter 6 is not an easy chapter to read together. But remember, as we read it, it is part of the content of the blessing that's promised to those who read and keep the promises of this book, the prophecies of the book of Revelation in chapter 1, verse 3. So God promises a blessing even for reading and understanding what he has to say to us here. As we begin Revelation chapter 6, we're beginning 13 out of the 22 chapters of this book that relate very strongly to a seven-year period of time which constitutes what's going to happen at the end of this age. And as we begin to talk about that time of tribulation or that time of what will happen at the end of this world, I need to take a moment here to talk about different views of the book of Revelation. To understand the book of Revelation, you have to understand how believers down through the ages have looked at the book of Revelation. There are five general interpretations of Revelation I want you to be aware of. There are more than five interpretations, ways of looking at it, but I want you to be aware of five as we walk into this chapter this week. The five ways of looking at Revelation are the preterist view, the continuous historical view, the spiritualized view, the futurist or the dispensational view, and number five, the combination approach. Let me tell you what those are. The preterist view is the view that the book of Revelation is all about the Roman government and what happened 2,000 years ago, and all of these symbols are already fulfilled. Now, I happen to believe that the book of Revelation is not just about what happened 2,000 years ago. But I also happen to believe that it is about what happened 2,000 years ago. In the Old Testament, we see many times that there is a double application of prophecy. 
that there is an application for the moment, but there's an also a, a more and extended, a greater application for eternity, for the future of what God has. And the book of Revelation, obviously, you can't miss it. It points to the Roman Empire. It points to the emperor, an emperor by the name of Domitian, and the persecution that was happening to the church in that day. But to me, it is just as obvious that there's a greater fulfillment to be seen here, one that can only come at the end of time. So some people have not just the preterist view, they have a second view, a continuous historical view. And their view is that the book of Revelation is the history of the church from the days of John. I think you have to force a lot of things in the book of Revelation to have that view, but there are many who have had that view down through the ages. There are others who have what I would call the spiritualized view, of third view. And that is the view that the book is purely symbolic. It's not actual history. It's teaching us life truths from the symbolized way of how God works in history. And there's something attractive about that to all of us because the book of Revelation is hard to understand. But as you read the book, as we go through these chapters, I think you'll probably agree that there's something more than just symbolism, just spiritualized symbolism here. There's an actual description of some things that are happening. A fourth view is the futurist, or what's been called more recently the dispensational view. And that's the view that these prophecies are all about the end times, and everything in it is still to come to pass. Nothing in it is about the time when it was first written, or for all the Christians that have lived since then. It's really for us who live in the last days. That's who it's significant to. I don't know anybody who holds only to that view, that it's only for one certain group of believers. I think everyone believes that in some sense, the book of Revelation, the truth of it, has had some truth for every generation. But you all know probably someone who believes that it's just about exactly describing the end time events, and it doesn't have anything to do with other generations. Uh, the idea that every Christian of any generation could read and benefit from the book of Revelation, that goes to the combination approach. The idea that there are truths for every generation, that there are in this incredible book pictures of the last days of history and beyond, but there are also principles of how to look forward to Jesus' second coming for every generation of believers. As we look through these descriptions of the last days, we're going to be looking in the next several chapters at seven seals and seven trumpets and seven bowls. Now, as we look at those, they're really contained within each other. When we get to the seventh seal, it's going to contain the seven trumpets. When we go through those seven trumpets and we get to the seventh trumpet, it's going to contain the seven bowls. So all everything is contained within the seven seals. It's just that, remember those dolls maybe that you had or have given to your kids where it's a bigger doll and you open it up and there's a smaller doll inside and you open it up and there's a smaller doll inside? That's the way this is. They're contained within each other. And as we look at what God has to say about this world that he's created, about his plans for this world. We're going to discover again and again and again that God communicates to us that he's in control. He has a plan. Now, we're going to be focusing this week on what God has to say about that plan as he begins to open these seals. But before we even begin this week, there are two big questions that I feel like it would be helpful to answer. Otherwise, you're going to have them in your mind all week long. Question number one is, are the seven seals, bowls, and trumpets happening successively or all at the same time? It's a question many people have had down through the ages. Some think that these are descriptions of the same events, and it's just describing it three different times. Many more, and I agree with those, believe that they occur one right after another in some way. The fact that they grow out of each other seems to make that clear. Now, by the way, as we go through three sevens, 
That doesn't mean that each of these have to be one-third of the seven years necessarily. Later, we're going to get into some talk and details about the timing of the events. Three sevens could mean one-third each, but they could also just as easily point to three complete periods of judgment. Remember, seven means perfect. So I think they're successive. They follow after the other. We're going to talk about that more during this week. Another big question that people have that you're going to have as we walk through this is, when does this thing that I've heard of called the rapture of the church take place in all of these sevens and sevens of years? I think you might be interested in that. There are some would say before these terrible events come upon the earth, pre-tribulation, that's when the rapture occurs. There's others who say in the middle of all these events that come upon the earth at the end of time, in the middle of the tribulation, mid-tribulation, that's when it occurs. And there are others who say it's afterwards, it's post-tribulation. Pastors have always liked to say, I'm going to believe the best of what God can do in our lives. You may have heard your pastor say this, that as a person who trusts in Jesus Christ, I believe that he's going to come before the tribulation. If somehow he's doing it differently than I anticipated and I'm still here when the tribulation begins, I'm going to immediately shift to a mid-tribulation view. The idea behind that is I'm expecting Jesus to come as soon as possible. That needs to be our heart. And I do believe that he is going to come and take his church. I do believe that he's going to come and take his people to be with him. That's a pre-tribulation view. I know believers and have read believers down through history who have the other views and deeply respect those views, but that is a view that I would have. What are some of the reasons for that? Well, the unexpected nature of the rapture as it's talked about in the scriptures, even for believers. If we know that it's going to come in the middle of the tribulation, then we know the tribulation events have begun and it's going to come in three and a half or whatever number of years. I also believe that we're told in Scripture that we're going to be protected from God's wrath as believers. You can see that in Romans and Thessalonians and the book of Psalms again and again. I also believe that the descriptions of believers during these tribulation times tend to focus, we're going to see as we read through the book of Revelation, on those who are saved during that time. What about those who are already saved? What's happened to them? So I believe we're going to be raptured before these events that we're going to talk about happen. But I have to say, there's a couple of things that make me uncomfortable with that belief. One of them, I'm just being honest, is the arrogance sometimes of people who have this pre-tribulation belief. I've read many books on the second coming of Christ, heard many studies on them, and many times those who are pre-tribulation, there doesn't seem to be a sense of compassion in their teaching. Even towards others who have a different view, there seems to be a sense of judgmentalism in their teaching. Well, I'm not comfortable with that. If I'm going to be pre-tribulation, I want to do it with the Spirit of Christ, recognizing that there can be other views, and talking about what the Scripture has to teach about that. The other thing that makes me uncomfortable about that view sometimes is it can become for us as believers an escapist view. We want to take this view, obviously, because we're fearful. We don't want to go through tough times. Who would want to go through tough times? I want to be ready for whatever Jesus asks me to do. And I don't want to be so sure that I'm not going to go through a time of tribulation that if I face a tough time, all of a sudden I begin to question my relationship with Christ. I begin to think as if he has abandoned me. However God's plan unfolds, Jesus is going to be with you. And the truth is, even though you may not go through this time of tribulation at the end of time, we all go through tough times in our lives. And he has not abandoned you. We go through times when we face the evil in this world, but he is still with you. He'll be with you today. In fact, that's the very thing I want to pray for as we end this time. 
Lord, as we think about the end of this world and some of the tribulations that will come upon this world, we also look at our lives. We look at uh, the earthquakes, the hurricanes, the terrorism that's happening in the world today. We look at those, those things that are happening in our own lives today. And we know that we need you. We need you as the one who's in control. And I pray that my heart, our hearts would be affirmed and strengthened in this truth that you are in control as we walk through these chapters, that you will not abandon us. Let us know that to the core, to the depth of our heart, we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Join us tomorrow. The first two seals are going to be opened. <laughs>